Daniel Patrick Monaghan once said, a responsible government does not triple the national debt in eight years. Our cherished Congress has authorized trillions of dollars in spending over the last decade, causing the United States debt to nearly triple since 2009. Over that period, the Treasury Department's ability to borrow money to make payment on that debt has repeatedly run into congressionally mandated limit on borrowing, known as the debt ceiling. And now there is a fiery debate among policymakers on how to handle these very serious problems. Keep this in mind as I ask the question, what will happen to countries who default on their debt? And what is actually happening in the United States Congress that makes this so scary? My name is Dr. David Wallalu, and you are watching Geopolitics in Conflict. Inflation hit 8.6%, the highest in 40 years. Economists are expecting to see another increase, driven in large part by higher energy costs. The White House says that it's trying to reach out to lawmakers from both sides of the aisle to come to a bipartisan agreement to either suspend or raise that $31 trillion debt limit. We are at our borrowing limit. There is no more room to borrow money. So that's the why now. The bigger question is, what should we do? The world is random, meaningless, chaos. Or is it? How do some of the best, wealthiest, and most powerful people seem to know what's coming before it happens? Well, one way is that they create the circumstances in their favor, but the other is that they know how to read the world's stage and spot patterns and trends in key areas. They don't get lost in the overwhelm of endless information. They know what's important to pay attention to using their own formulas. And most importantly, they know where to put that information to actually make it usable. Would you like to be able to do the same thing? Well, we have a course that teaches you to do that exact same thing. It's called No Nonsense Politics. So if you want the leg up that some of the world's brightest have, as well as an online community of people who think for themselves just like you, Check it out. Link in the description box below. Efforts to raise or abolish the ceiling have become a topic of heated debate and a football or a political football among policymakers. Some lawmakers who decry government's debt have used negotiations on altering the limits to try to force spending cuts. The congressional brinksmanship over the issue has increasingly led to disruption, including government shutdowns and the danger of default that has threatened to push the economy into crisis. With the issue again on the table this year under President Biden, economists are warning of a disaster consequences if the Treasury Department can no longer pay the nation's debt. But the first question is, what is that ceiling? Created by Congress in 1917, the debt limit or ceiling sets the maximum amount of outstanding federal debt the United States government can incur. As of January 2023, 
the total national debt and the debt ceiling both stand at $31.4 trillion. The U.S. government has run a deficit averaging nearly $1 trillion a year since 2001, meaning it spends more money than it receives in taxes and other revenues. To make up the difference, the United States government has to borrow to continue to finance payments that Congress has already authorized. And yes, you guessed it right. United States government borrows from China, which has loaned more than $1 trillion to the U.S. to fund its deficit spending. I recall looking into U.S. borrowing over the years and found that a report of the United States Department of Treasury, which was released in October 2016, indicates that the United States owes a total of $9.46 trillion in foreign securities, including $6.76 trillion in equity and $2.7 trillion in debt. Now you see why our fiscal policies are in a mess and why politicians spending more time squabbling about nonsense instead of serving the people and prevent the collapse of the economy. And begins the political internal fighting in Congress. The battle lines for the high-stakes fight have already been set. Hardline Republicans who have enormous sway in the House because of the party's slim majority have demanded that lifting the borrowing cap be tied to spending reduction. The White House countered that it will not offer any concessions or negotiate on raising the debt ceiling. And with the solution to the debt ceiling drama squarely in lawmakers' hands, fears are growing that the partisan brinksmanship could result in the nation's defaulting on its debt for the first time ever, or coming dangerously close to doing so. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen wrote in a letter to the House Speaker Kevin McCarthy recently, informing him that the nation's outstanding debt is at its statutory limits of $31.4 trillion and that the agency will implement extraordinary measures so it doesn't default on its debt, which will have enormous consequences on the U.S. economy, global financial stability, and of course, many Americans. She argued the measures will last only till June 2023. Of this year. So, the next question will be, what will be the consequences if the United States breaches the debt ceiling? The debate over the debt ceiling has caused economists to consider unthinkable prospects of a U.S. default. That is, Washington declaring that it can no longer pay its debt. Some say that will lead to chaos for the U.S. and global economies. Even short of default, hitting the debt ceiling will restrict the government's ability to finance its operations, including providing for the national defense or funding entitlement such as Medicare or Social Security. The problems are on two fronts. 
on the domestic front. Potential consequences of reaching the ceiling include 1. A downgrade by credit rating agencies. 2. Increased borrowing costs for businesses and homeowners alike. And 3. A drop-off in consumer confidence that could shock the U.S. financial market and tip the economy into recession. Sadly, the economy is already in a recession. A breach of the debt ceiling would immediately halt about one-tenth of U.S. economic activity. A breach that leads to default could cause A. The loss of 3 million jobs B. Adding $130,000 to the cost of an average 30-year mortgage and C. Raise interest rate enough to increase the national debt by $850 billion. In addition, a higher interest rate could divert future taxpayers' money away from much-needed federal investments in areas such as infrastructure, education, and healthcare, to name but a few. Yet, what our great government is doing is sending more money to Ukraine while Americans continue to struggle economically. How insane our politicians are. Survey after survey has shown that a solid majority of the population is living paycheck to paycheck. And at this point, most U.S. consumers are tapped out. According to the Bankers Rate Annual Emergency Fund Report, 68% of people are worried they wouldn't be able to cover the living expense for just one month if they lost their primary source of income. And when push comes to shove, the majority, 57% of U.S. adults, are currently unable to afford a $1,000 emergency expense. When broken down by generation, Gen, Gen Zers, 85%, and Millennials, 79%, are more likely to be worried about covering an emergency expense. These numbers are quite worrying because they clearly demonstrate that we are completely and utterly unprepared for any sort of a major economic downturn. And thanks to the rapidly rising cost of living, we are losing even more ground with each passing month. Another survey that was recently released found that earnings are falling behind the cost of living. For 72% of middle-income families, nearly three-quarters or 72% of middle-income families say their earnings are falling behind the cost of living, up from 68% a year ago. According to a separate report by Primerica, based on a survey of households with incomes between $30,000 and $100,000, a similar share, 74%, said they are unable to save for their future, which is up from 66% last year. On the global front, is different. Over half of the world's foreign currency reserves are held in the U.S. dollar. So, a sudden decrease in the currency value could ripple through the market for, for treasuries as the value of these reserves drops. As heavily indebted 
low-income countries struggle to make interest payments on their sovereign debts. Example, Argentina. A weaker dollar could make the debt denominated in other currencies relatively more expensive and threaten to tip some emerging economies into debt crisis. So let's state the obvious. A U.S. default could wreak havoc on global financial markets. The credit worthiness of U.S. Treasury securities has long bolstered demand for U.S. dollar, contributing to their value and status as the world reserve currency. Any hit to confidence in the U.S. economy, whether from default or the uncertainty surrounding it, could cause investors to sell U.S. Treasury bonds and thus weaken the dollar. China and Japan are selling U.S. debt as we speak. And if this is not enough, consider this. Swiss banks are selling $36 billion of U.S. treasuries and replacing the dollar with the Chinese yuan. What is the trend here? Nations are de-dollarizing. Another example to reduce reliance on U.S. dollar. Brazil and Argentina are preparing a new Latin American currency called SOAR, Spanish for the South. And this is where geoeconomics comes in. What is geoeconomics, you may ask? The interplay between geopolitics, economics, and investments. Today's investors need to understand geopolitical trends as a main driving force of markets because of the impact of that dynamic on financial markets. On one hand, there are those who argue that geopolitics experts cannot answer the question of which geopolitical events matter for investors and which do not. On the other hand, some other experts thus claim that all geopolitical risks matter and that these risks cannot be quantified but only assessed qualitatively. Nothing could be far from the truth. From the Huawei affairs to the AUKUS spat and beyond, a new reality is shaking up the world economy. The takeover, usually hostile, of international economics by geopolitics. This process is probably only just the beginning, and the challenge now is learning how to live with it. Of course, economics and geopolitics have never been completely separate domains. The post-World War II liberal economic order was designed by econo economists, but on the basis of a master plan conceived by the foreign policy strategist. Post-war, U.S. policymakers knew what they wanted. What a 1950 National Security Council report called, and I quote, a world environment in which the American system can survive and flourish. End of quote. From their perspective, the free world's prosperity was the ultimately successful conduit to containing and possibly defeating Soviet communism. And the liberal order was the conduit to that prosperity. But although the ultimate objective was geopolitical, international economic relations were shaped by 70 years by their own rules. On occasion, 
concrete decisions were skewed by geopolitics. For the U.S., for example, providing IMF financial assistance to Mexico was never equivalent to providing it to Indonesia or Malaysia or Argentina. The principles governing trade or exchange rate policy, however, were strictly economics. So here is my conclusion for you. There is a reason why the golden age of exploration lasted two centuries to fuel world capitalism. And it worked back then. The only big challenge was that only the elite and perhaps some pirates benefited from it. And it led to the age of imperialism, which still carries a heavy consequences and meaning in the relations and emotions of the affected regions, countries, and societies. Now that we have learned from history, we can say that the rapid changes on the geopolitical landscape can create a better future moving forward by being smart with our decisions, our actions, and yes, our finances. This is why I keep saying the new multipolar world is not driven by ideology, but rather economics. As always, prepare yourself for a changing world order. Till next time. Bye-bye.